Greetings and welcome to Dead for Filth. I'm your host, Michael Verratti, and this is the podcast for all things queer horror and beyond. On today's Milestone 75th episode, I'm excited to welcome a guest whose flair for humor, fascination with haunting, and many talents in between have made her a contemporary drag sensation. A regular host and performer at such prominent events as Roz's Humor Hole and Ross Matthews' dragtastic Bubbly Brunch, she's made her name as a force to be reckoned with on the Los Angeles scene and around the country. As the weekly host of the popular podcast Ghosted, she investigates the world of supernatural in high fashion. A comedian, host extraordinaire, and male actress, please welcome superstar Roz Dresvelez. Hi! 75! <laughs> welcome to the show, Roz. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I've been a fan since the beginning, it feels like. I, you know, I remember the first week or so, you were one of the first people to let me know you were listening, so it, it means a lot that you're still listening, and now you're here. I love it! <laughs> I'm a big horror fan. But the thing with, I'm intimidated by people like you that have such an encyclopedic knowledge of names and titles, and I feel like you know who worked craft services on, you know, <laughs> Halloween 7, and I don't know, like, I'm not like that at all. And you know what's interesting is it's not like something I research. I just, for some reason, retain this kind of information, mm-hmm. like... Because it ma- means something to you. It does, but then someone will be like, "Oh, you know, your second cousin Steve," and I'm like, "Who?" Like, you know, like <laughs> yeah. I like I lose like I lose uh, you know actual real world practical knowledge uh-huh. uh, in in lieu of the craft services of Halloween Seven. <laughs> um, so, what is Halloween Seven? Like Halloween Six, Curse of Michael Myers, and then we have like a, the the break. And then they do H2O. So H2O is technically Halloween 7, but it negates like some of the movies in between. You know Halloween has like this like whole continuity branch off. It's very yeah. Yeah, all over the place. So for any listeners who want to clock me for slight inaccuracies, yes, there's a Halloween 7. It's H2O. But because of the changing timelines of Halloween, it's both a Halloween 7 and it's not, you know. Well, but then there's also Season of the Witch, which kind of throws a Yeah, a but that's at least it. marked as Halloween 3, so. Right. It's, just, it's a whole thing where they just love to uh, to confuse us in the best possible way. Yes. It's, um, yeah. And so, in a way, I kind of admire what Blumhouse did with the new one, because they just were like, nope, we're just cleaning the slate, we're wiping everything off, it's Halloween and the new Halloween, and that's it. What did you think of the new one? You know what, I thought it was, it was really fun. I, I think that what's interesting about it was its approach to generational trauma. And the idea that how when someone would live through an event like Halloween, it would forever alter the course of your life. Yes. And what I liked that they explored was not just how this damaged Jamie Lee's character, but like if you have kids and you're so fucked up by something it like that, it's going to like continue down like mm-hmm. uh, and and subsequently ruin the lives of your family too if you never come to terms with it. And how really could you? That's interesting. I didn't think about that. Yeah, because you don't see that much, huh? I mean, I guess you kind of did with uh, Scream 3, where we kind of see a little bit of how Sydney is now taking more precautions and very, you know, in making sure that she does not get killed. Uh, but it's interesting, yeah, to see... I guess I, I can't think of many times that you see how it has affected the family. And I mean, that's a real thing. It is. I mean, I think that like a lot of horror sequels deal with the idea of trauma, but maybe not to the extent that it's like so embedded. Like you, you get kind of the thing. I'm always fascinated in a horror movie sequel where it's just like, oh, I lived through this and I'm a little scared, but... I'm yeah. working a normal person job and everything's cool. Everything's back to normal. Yeah, your life would never be the same. No! Uh, which is, you know what? Let's, let's, we've gone on on this adventure and I haven't even got a chance to ask you the first question. Oh. And I love it? that. And uh, you know the first question. The first question is simply Where this. Where do I shop? 
Yeah, where do you shop? Why am I not more famous? <laughs> no, why am horror? I a supermodel? Why horror? And you can interpret that however you want. Why do you drawn to horror? Uh, why do you think audiences love the genre? But why horror? Well, <clears throat> for me, it goes along with drag. I have this obsession that I've had my entire life with things that seem just like the everyday life that we are used to, but they're flipped on their head. Right. There's something about it that's a little... I'm Everything that I'm obsessed with is like that. I love kitsch. Uh, and it's sort of the same thing where it's like something something just feels a little off with with it. Uh, I love drag where it kind of does that with gender where you're like, is that a man? Is it a woman? Does it matter? Uh, you know, it larger than life, big wigs, that sort of thing. And with horror, I feel that's what's always drawn me is that it feels just like life, but you're seeing it being flipped on its head you're seeing uh what 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 we would do if we were in a a scenario with a a murderer or a ghost or a possession or a zombie or you know any of those things and yeah i've never been a fantasy a fan my michigan accent (laughs) fantasy i've never been a fantasy person necessarily when we're talking like a whole fantasy world i've never been drawn to Star Wars or Harry Potter or just, you know, I I see the appeal of those. But for me, I've just always liked when something is kind of grounded in in everyday life. Um, So that's why why I like horrors, because especially like supernatural type horror, I've always loved the most because it's uh, it's, you know, I guess I said it five times, but it's like everyday life. But something is. extraordinary you're sort of drawn to the heightened reality of it all yeah you know it's interesting we have talked uh with different drag performers who've come on the show about sort of the correlation uh between drag and horror and a lot of times it does come back to this kind of like heightened sensation Mm -hmm. drag is a very heightened presentation and horror is a very heightened presentation uh but you know i think you might be the first person who uh in the very first question why horror you correlated the two and i was going to talk to you a bit about this because anytime i have a drag queen on i want to talk a little bit about that relationship between drag and horror yeah. because you see it a lot like you, you know with people like peaches christ or the boulet brothers mm-hmm. yourself you've dabbled and you know not dabbled you're doing a whole show uh, about the paranormal yeah um so you very much feel there is a correlation between your drag life and this interest Definitely. Yeah. Because um, what I said 10,000 times, because uh, I just keep repeating because um, <laughs> this coffee's kicking in. But, you know, I feel with drag that you're seeing you're seeing a person. It's almost like that same thing with a with a clown or <laughs> with a ventriloquist dummy or something where like it looks like a person, but I know something's a little different. Right. I know that hair is not real. I know that people don't usually act like that in public. I know that um, you know, just you know, it, it's somebody acting in a in a very different way. But it is it is heightened. But it is still you know, especially when you see a drag queen at like a brunch or something, you're like, this is like not what I'm used to seeing at a brunch, right? Uh, you know, so uh, that's what I like. I like that one thing that's just sort of, uh, s- s- um. What's the word I'm looking for? Just the one thing in the room that's that makes it uh, kind of a, a small fantasy in our reality. Right. And what's interesting is, you know, we, we talk about how the heightened nature of horror sort of applies to the world of drag, pulling that fantasy into the real world. And you're, you're looking at, at it and saying, like, oh, my gosh, you know, like, here we are at brunch. And, and now there's this otherworldly 
you know, larger than life being. Mm-hmm. But what's also kind of interesting, and I think about this a lot, and I'm sure some of like, you know, the like older white cis men who like laid some of the foundations of the, the modern horror that we look at today probably wouldn't agree. But I watch a lot of these horror movies and there's elements of drag in a lot of them. The mm-hmm. idea that, you know, to utilize makeup to create like a larger than life character, even though it's not the same kind of makeup that we would consider like drag makeup, to use makeup to transform into something bigger and more outrageous. That's a drag sensibility. Or yes. someone like Elvira, who has, you know. Number one idol. Number one idol. Someone who has also claimed and uh, professed that she views Elvira as a drag character. Yeah. But she understood by taking the elements of drag and putting it into the world of horror, it's like hand in hand. And I think totally. that's so fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. And I, I love to see drag mixed with horror you know there's there's a lot of really cool performers out there that are doing um things uh you can tell that their influence comes from horror and and there's a community that's building around that with like the boule brothers and stuff and i think that's really cool and i i am such a huge horror person and i like to sort of incorporate horror into what i do um but I don't like to look scary. I like to be <laughs> the final girl. You know, right. I don't want to be the scary one. Well, and I want to talk about your final girl status a little bit later because you uh, you do tend to rock a, a good lead in a horror scenario. Um, but first, before we even get into your role as a uh, male actress, as I said in the intro, <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about your origins uh, okay. and just the beginnings of your interest in, in the world that you have curated for yourself. Because uh, you weren't always... A drag performer. This is more recent in recent years, right? Yeah, I started dabbling in like 2010. I was kind of a stay-at-home drag queen. I was just, uh, you know, I I learned how to do makeup before, really before there was like makeup tutorials and that sort of a thing. And I was I was doing makeup at a department store on people, and um, and yeah, then I kind of you know I would go out and stuff, and then I started doing more stand-up, but mainly well as a as a boy I guess um still I'm still with like gender I I forget when I'm talking about myself I can like like I know that I'm like a he she they I don't care but it's just <laughs> like I'm always like wait am I using the right pronoun on myself uh pre- presenting like a boy right uh so uh then a couple of years ago I was like yeah you know what I should should dust off those wigs and uh, shake them out and get back out there. And uh, I don't know why I didn't do it sooner. I mean, I could live in regret, but I think everything happens for a reason, and and I'm loving it now. So you uh, you started in the world of comedy, though. You were, is that where your your interest was? God, I've I've been in so many different little worlds in. in uh, well, let me put it this way. When you were growing up, was entertainment where you always saw yourself ending up? Yeah, 100%. Uh, I grew up in Michigan. And it's so funny because when I was a little kid, I would go from one thing to the next that I was just obsessed with. And it was always in the entertainment world. And my parents would always kind of be like, oh, what's the, here's the next thing. But it's so funny because all of those things I have incorporated into my full-time job now, which is right. so, like, I, I think it's kind of cool. I, I think about the little the little boy in Michigan that's like, wow. How, I, I'm just so happy I figured it out because as a kid, I was very into, like, painting, which is sort of like makeup. Uh, 
arts and crafts. I was very into that kind of a thing. My Michigan accent is like it's coming, coming out. out today. Crafts. Uh, I love it. Craft services. <laughs> Halloween 7. Um, I was very into <laughs> acting. I was very into comedy, horror, so many of these different things. And yeah, now I've been able to put them all together. And, and that's the cool thing about being a drag queen in 2019 is that you can just, you can you can do all those things. There's no, there's no limit. So, so, and you were talking about you dabbled in drag. You were a stay-at-home drag queen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but were you always a fan of drag? Because in Michigan, I don't. You know, I I went to college in the Midwest, and I mm-hmm. lived there for a long time. And drag visibility in the Midwest is is not quite as prominent as it is in coastal cities, and yes. especially now that drag is, as we talked about before we went on there on TV and coming into people's homes. So, when did you really discover drag? Yeah, I was going to say, how young do you think I am? Because I grew up in the time before there was drag anywhere, well, <laughs> like no. on TV right, or right, right. Well, I know that. for yeah. kids to have an access to. Um, nowadays, yeah, kids can see it anywhere. Um, I mean, I've I've read books to children and I've done children's birthday parties as a drag <laughs> queen. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I think I, re- I distinctly remember seeing RuPaul on television when she had her VH1 show. And, uh, you know, my father is a professional clown. Oh, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, it's something that I came out about a couple years ago. <laughs> I was Growing up, I was tormented. Like, I was just, like, kind of embarrassed by it. Wait, uh, so, but clowns have, like, they they have, like, drag names, right? What, what was his? I'm, I won't say. You will not. I'm, okay. Yeah, I've been keep, asked that before, and I just, I won't. Keep it off the, uh, just... uh, the stricken from the record. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, because uh, he's, still, he's still out there, still doing it. And, uh, yeah, I learned about... I mean, I grew up with a father that wore makeup and wigs. Right. And I loved it. And I still love clowns. I've always loved clowns. And I started doing clowning when I was 10. And I ended up doing some circuses as a child, as a clown with my dad. And fell in love with it. And uh, so when seeing RuPaul on TV, I remember talking to my dad about like, what's that what's going on here and him telling me you know it's sort of like how he's a clown how that's you know a man that's just sort of wearing something and he takes it off and I always think that's so cool that my dad explained that to me um I was so obsessed with I love transformation I've always loved transformation I love special effects makeup anytime I saw like any kind of special on tv about special effects makeup I was hitting the vcr record and watching it over and over again and so I loved Mrs. Doubtfire, um, Tootsie, uh, of course, like Tu Wong Fu. I mean, I, it's very weird because I grew up going to a very old Catholic school. I went to the oldest boy-girl Catholic school in America. It's where my grandparents went. And I went to 11 years of Catholic school. But weirdly, even though my parents... We're a little we're strict about some things, you know. We had to be polite. We had to go to church on Sunday. When it came to watching movies, they were sort of it it sounds like they really didn't care because I guess they did at times, but they would still let us watch like all kinds of shit. And <laughs> my favorite movie when I was like I think 6 or 7 was Carrie, which I know gets brought up a lot on this show. Uh I loved Carrie. I loved The Exorcist. I loved The Poltergeist. Uh I loved these horror movies as well. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I did see like Tu Wong Fu and and that kind of a thing. Uh, of course, at a young age, not 
putting together any type of sexuality thing involved with it. I just liked, just like how my dad did, I would see my dad turn into this other person and get to entertain people in a way that he didn't do at home or whatever. You know, so I, I was always drawn to that. That's really cool because, as you pointed out, Carrie does get brought up a lot on the show, but usually it's in relation to people kind of coming to terms with their queer identity and realizing that this movie is all about, like, the outsider and transformation within themselves. But you're coming from a home where you get to watch your dad transform into a new character, mm-hmm. and I love that you sort of made that equation even though, of course, we would much rather your dad be a clown than Carrie, uh, that uh, that's a really cool like conclusion to arrive at for a well, kid. Well, okay, here's my Carrie story. My parents are very 70s. Like That's when they were in their 20s, and they would make me watch all kinds of 70s stuff. And I remember I had already seen The Exorcist, but I remember The Exorcist being a TV edited version that was recorded on a VHS. So a lot right. of the the bad stuff was cut out. My but. favorite, uh, just jumping in, because I love the TV edit of The Exorcist, is... Uh, Do they dub over the words? When they dub over the words. And, you know, the famous line where Reagan says, your mother sucks cocks in hell. Uh-huh. On the TBS edited version, she says, your mother darns socks in hell. Oh and I God. still think about that darns to this day. socks. Because, like... What does that mean? You darn suck! <laughs> well, Get these darn socks out of here. It's just like, what's what even kind of insult is that? I, <laughs> but now I want to use it every day for m- the rest of my life. I've been thinking about it since I was 14. So. <laughs> uh, but yes, Carrie. Yeah, so my Carrie story. Okay, so my father knew that I loved horror movies, and he's like, you gotta see Carrie. I don't think the man had seen it in like 20 years. He probably remembered the pig's blood scene, and that's about it. Right. So he rents the movie for me. I remember this crystal clear. And this was in a house that I left when I was like eight years old. So I was must have been like seven or younger. And he puts on the movie. And I remember he like went to go get, he went down to our basement to do the laundry. And he puts it on and I'm like watching it. And you, we all know how it starts. They're naked in the shower, all these women. Right. And I think, I swear to God, I think that my dad like was like, oh shit. Like I'm not going to be in the room for this. Like this is... <laughs> This is awkward. And so I watch this scene and I don't know what's happening, but I know that she's showering with the soap and then she's bleeding. And then I remember my dad coming in. He's like, what I miss? And I was like, nothing. I didn't see it. He's like, do you want to rewind it? I was like, no, no, it's okay. Just keep watching. And for years, even though I love the movie Carrie, I thought that it was about soap that possessed this girl. (laughs) And it attacked her in the shower, and that's where she was bleeding, and she got superhuman powers from the soap. That's I mean, what I thought it was. So I guess I thought the pig's blood had to do with, like, she, well, she's going to, like, she's clean, and so they're making her dirty. <laughs> like, I didn't know. I mean, honestly, uh, one, I want to see the movie about evil soap now. <laughs> But two, it kind of makes sense, right? Like, if you're a little kid who has no basis of knowledge of the biology of... Uh, I had no clue. Yeah. And who sits down their child to explain menstruation before they watch Carrie, especially if you're watching it at eight years old? Yeah. Uh yeah, I mean, I didn't see it until I was a teenager, so I already had like that awareness. But yeah. I could see how it would be very confusing for a little kid. I do want to say that my parents like super duper like they knew that I could handle stuff at a young age, and I could. Uh, but I don't want to sound like my parents were like in any kind of abusive way or something like exposing me to things that kids shouldn't see. But yeah, I mean, I just I as a kid. See, here's who I was as a kid. 
I was not interested in kids at all. I wanted nothing to do with them. I knew everything that was going on in the news, which was a great time in the 90s. I knew all about the OJ, everything. I knew uh, I kept up with all the Lorena Bobbitt. Like, I knew that stuff. Were you a court TV addict? I loved that stuff. Yeah. So, uh, so I guess they, they thought I could handle it. And I do remember seeing Scream when it first came out, um, when it first came out to, to Blockbuster and being so scared because the next day my sister was babysitting me and I was just like, I can't be home. <laughs> There's no way. And I made my mom take me to uh, work with her all day. And I distinctly remember that I was probably like 97 or so. Yeah. Now, do you think that you're we were talking about how uh, for a lot of people, the engagement with the movies kind of ran parallel with their queer identity. Uh, but what I think is interesting is, is you said that you didn't really relate well with other kids. Do you think that had anything to do with your queer identity or no? It could be. Especially I mean, going to a Catholic school. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny when it comes to that, because I didn't know that I liked guys really I didn't I didn't really know that that was a thing until I knew that that was a thing and I was like oh that's a thing which sounds <laughs> <laughs> stupid but I I think I was like 16 and I was like oh wait a minute oh all these years going back like yes I was a, a little gay boy this whole time I didn't realize that that's what that meant so yeah, I, I don't think at the moment, in the moment, I wasn't one of those kids. I have a lot of friends that are like, when I was a little boy, I would see these, uh, you know, Jonathan Taylor Thomas was my crush. And I'm like, that wasn't me necessarily. Right. Uh, but I realized that, like, I think it kind of was. I just didn't no. know. Yeah. I just thought he was like, cool. <laughs> yeah. I just want to be his friend. Drew Barrymore from Scream was, I, I wrote to her so many times. The library had a book that was celebrity uh, addresses, and I learned how to write by writing to comedians and Drew Barrymore and Whoopi Goldberg. And um, Whoopi and Drew did not ever write back. It was always the wrong email. It was always the wrong <laughs> peel box. It would always come back in the mail. Oh, oh. well. But Robin I- Williams got back to me, and I have an eight by ten that's written to him. I still have it. Well, that's a pretty good consolation. Yeah, he signed it. But Whoopi and Drew, I, I'm just assuming you're listening. You need to write back to Roz. Like, the time is now. I was obsessed with Drew Barrymore from Scream. I, she was, I thought she was the most beautiful woman in the world. And, like, I had, like, a crush, but, like, just because I thought that's what we're supposed to do. I don't know. Right. I just, I was just, like, loved her. But I guess that meant, like, I wanted to be my girlfriend. Like, what else would it mean when yeah. you're seven and you don't know anything else? When I was, like, a teenager, I was just like, I love Julia Roberts. But, like, mm-hmm. I maybe loved her a little too much, yeah. which should have been the tell. I'd be uh-huh. like, I have a box of Julia Roberts movies to watch on Valentine's Day because <laughs> I'm by myself. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so you, um, you know, you're putting all of your artistic, you, you were saying you're obsessed with different things and, like, developing your artistic skills while you're living in Michigan. And when uh, you leave Michigan, did you immediately come to L.A.? Or Yeah, basically. I did one of those you hear on the radio, it's like, does your kid want to be on the Disney Channel? Come on down to the Marriott. Have them audition. Like, big casting directors will be there. So I did one of those things. And I just, because I was doing theater and I was acting, and I knew my whole entire life that I was going to move to L.A. the day after my high school graduation. And it was right before my senior year of high school, and I went to I went to one of those auditions, and... 
I ended up like they were like, here's a scholarship to do this thing if you want to do it. And I was like, eh, because I was like, I'm not going to pay all this money. They're like, we need you to do it. So I did it. And then I ended up like winning all the awards and stuff. And then I got all these great agents. And so I moved out here. And then I was out here for like five minutes. And I was like, ooh, yeah, I'm not really interested in being in movies. I like being on stage. Right. Because even like the, the competition thing was like on stage. So I kind of thrived with an audience. And then I started going to these auditions where you're like in an office with a little camera on you. And it just didn't, I didn't like that at that time. And so I just kind of stopped acting. And then I stayed out here uh, anyway, trying to figure out what I'm going to do. Because I knew I loved acting and I knew there were so many things that I loved doing. I just didn't know how to do that. And then I think I started really, you know, I was, I mean, I was 18 when I moved out here by myself, first time without parental supervision. So I was partying and that was, you know, like college days. And so I would go to 18 and up gay clubs and that's where I first started seeing drag queens and I was like oh this seems like something I would like doing and then yeah it probably, probably took about a year or two until I started buying Kevin Aquan books and learning how to do makeup and um yeah so you go out you're seeing drag queens for the first time and you kind of make that connection and you're doing stand-up at this point as well right mm, I think I started doing stand-up in like 2012 but you were you originally were doing stand up as Geo, not as Roz. Yes. Yeah. And what I like about that is you were kind of dabbling in the world of drag. Roz had not fully taken form yet. Yeah. Correct. Was was Roz your first drag name? No. <laughs> my first one which I know has been used by other people uh, which I didn't know at the time, but my first one was Tequila Mockingbird. Oh. Uh, so when did Roz fully take form, would you say? What was what was the, the moment in, in the afterbirth of Roz? When did she fully take form? Yes. Um, well, you know, I felt like I was so obsessed with drag queens. And not just drag. I mean, Drag Race was starting to really take off. And, and I loved, like, Jackie Bead and, and Lady Bunny and those types of queens. Uh, legendary queens like them. And... I felt like I had all these years of sitting on the sidelines and I thought either I could, you know, be bitter that I'm not doing it or I can take this knowledge and do something with it. This knowledge of just observing and seeing who's doing what already. Well, where are drag queens not? Because that's, you know, how else will I get in unless, you know, so I never understand drag queens that all kind of dress the same and do the same thing. I just don't get it. (laughs) But Well, you want to stand out. Yo, why wouldn't any of us? I mean, of course. Isn't that sort of like what being queer is? Is, you know, being other, being, you know, embracing that? But uh, so for me, I was, um, I realized that, you know, I was working in like comedy clubs and, I uh, was working at the Hollywood Improv and I realized like, well, there's no drag queens around here. So I thought, okay, well, I guess there's one way to do it is just to go into the the um, the comedy world. And so uh, I started doing that. And don't get me wrong, there are drag queen comedians, but not really that perform for those types of audiences, right. um, at least not at that time. And so uh, that's that's how I kind of 
figured out who Roz was was by performing for those people, which is a whole different experience than performing in a drag show. I am sorry, but I have hosted so many drag shows and it's it's a whole different audience when people are like, I paid to laugh. I didn't pay to just get entertained and see splits and maybe laugh a bit and see death drops. No, I want to laugh. So you better make me laugh. And if it's about things I've never heard of, I'm not going to laugh. So you better talk. So I had to learn how to to do comedy for people that don't know what drag queens are necessarily um, and use it as kind of a tool to to educate. Because when you're hosting a drag show, people already know who you are. They already know you do drag. They know we all watch Drag Race. Let's talk about it. But in comedy clubs, it was like, um, well, yeah. it's like you said, you looked and found a place where drag wasn't really represented. Yeah. And so in a very uh, smart way, in taking a skill that you already had, you were able to bring drag there. But by doing so, you also became like a de facto ambassador for a whole world that's not necessarily used to seeing drag queens. It's my favorite thing. I always say I want to perform for people that have never seen a drag queen because that means I'm the best one they've ever seen <laughs> they don't know any better i perform for people all the time that they don't know how shitty i am compared to some of these amazing queens out there but i yeah i do i mean i love performing with the drag community don't get me wrong i and i i like to to keep you know a foot in both you know i like to perform drag shows with drag queens um God, I love, I, there's nothing better than people handing you money. That's one thing they don't do. If people don't know what a drag queen is, they don't hand you money. Right. That's lost on straight culture, by <laughs> the way. Yeah. They don't They don't know that's a thing that happens. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I do, and you know, I, and I do have to represent drag queens, but I'm also, um, you know, sometimes I, say, I feel like maybe people would be more comfortable not think of me, thinking of me as a drag queen when they have these ideas of what a drag queen is supposed to be and supposed to say and you know I because I don't necessarily do that I mean I will perform talking about my life my everyday life and my family and and what it's like you know which is much different than lip syncing and and, you know sometimes there's there is now an expectation of what a drag queen is supposed to do and so sometimes people are like wait a minute you're but you're a drag queen why aren't you doing this or that um so I mean, I wear the title of drag queen um, with with honor. But, you know, I think that if people are closed minded about what a drag queen is, then just think of me as a comedian, you know, just think of me as a comedian or a host or a personality like fine. It's fine. Now, the world of comedy, I mean, that isn't isn't the, the old line. Comedy is a very serious business. It is very difficult gauntlet to run to be in comedy clubs and going through kind of the world of comedy and uh, I'm assuming it is an added measure of difficulty when you bring this extra layer of something that the world of comedy is not familiar with yeah it definitely you know it's so weird because with comedy I mean it's like any kind of performing some nights you do a joke and it kills then you do the same one a different night for a different crowd silence So it's very weird because there's major ups and downs to being a drag queen in the world of comedy because some audiences are like, I don't even know what this is, but I love it. And other audiences are just like, what the fuck is that? You know, they're they're very like, this is fucking weird, dude. Uh, 
but uh, you know i don't know i really like to perform for like hipsters like those those are my favorite like open-minded young people are my favorite but i've i mean i've performed for all kinds of audiences but i've noticed that like older audiences are usually the ones that are like more like you know hey carl there's your girlfriend like that kind of you know uh so uh there's challenges that come with it but I'm open for it. I'm here for it. Well, one thing that frequently comes up when we talk about drag and the idea of, uh, you know, when you put on a mask or you put you transform into a character, sometimes it allows you to be more of yourself or a bigger mm-hmm. version of yourself. And uh, we've addressed it a little bit in, over the course of this conversation, but I'm just kind of curious. Do you feel like from when you did stand up? As a, as a male presenting comedian to doing stand-up and drag, is your approach to how you take that stage very different? And do you feel different when you're doing stand-up now? Well, here's an interesting thing. I When I was doing male stand-up, I was an alcoholic. And I'm now uh, over four years sober. And right around that time was when I really started, per- when I got sober was right when I started really pursuing drag. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the same thing, you know. It's sort of, you know, alcohol kind of is that icebreaker for a lot of people. And uh, so I had to figure out how to do it sober. And I think... I always think that I'm the same person in and out of drag, but when I'm in drag, yes, I feel like I have a license to be a little bit more free and outrageous, and um, so I, I think that it's always inside, but sometimes it takes something to bring it out, and I'm very envious of people that don't need anything. They just are who they are, and I think that's great, uh, but uh, I think that when I'm in drag, I, I am just a little bit more... Drunk without being drunk. <laughs> uh, so usually when I have drag queens on, um, I like to ask them, because it's always of interest to uh, Dead for Filth listeners, about their drag name. Uh, obviously, Roz Dress for Les is a reference to Ross Dress for Less. Uh, no. No. Well, one, have you ever heard from them? Have like they as a company ever like said anything? God, I think I'm going to drop the last name because, you know, I don't even shop there, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a silly name. Yeah, I, I, it just happened backstage one night at one of those Casita del Campo shows with Jackie Bead and Sherry Vine and Drew Drogi and Sam Pancake, my family, and we were talking about somebody named Roz, and I was like, God, I love that name. It's just such a, such a great name, Roz, and it's not one that you hear very much. And going back to like, I'm always like, what are people not doing? Never heard of Roz. There's about sixty. You know, I'm not going to name a specific name, but there's a lot of, there's a couple of stock drag queen first names. Sure. Uh, and so, I was like, never heard of Roz. Uh, and so, it's like I like that. And then I just came out of my mouth, Roz Drez Velez, and then it just stuck. And then uh, it kind of went along with. Dress for less kind of sounds like dress for less, and and I've always been a huge thrifter, and so I was like, how can I make that kind of a thing because it's what I enjoy doing? Again, how can I incorporate that into a, a career or a, a passion um, that I can pursue bigger? And yeah, and so I kind of committed, especially early on, like I'm only wearing repurposed thrift store clothes, and mainly all that I wear is is repurposed thrift store clothes. And you still do that? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's fun to take things that are um, have a history and, and interpret them in a different way or, or give them life again. 
Well, from those beginnings to now, as I said, you have, uh, you know, kept building your brand. Uh, you know, it's a very corporate phrase. You're building your brand. But, you know, you've, you've really made a name for yourself out there. And I, I've gone to see you host shows at the Improv. I know that, you know, I've seen you do many drag events. And it's every time I turn around, you're like expanding and in the way that Roz is doing something new. And I love that. Thank you. And, uh, you know, bringing it to the world of horror, one of the things that you've done recently is you've collaborated uh, in the last couple of years with Peaches Christ. Ugh, uh, love Peaches. Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, Peaches is a dear friend of mine. Of course. And you, uh, was Sheetlejuice your debut in the Peaches show? Yes. Uh, so, yeah, they did a drag parody of Beetlejuice with Bianca Del Rio as Sheetlejuice, and Roz took on the Gina Davis character. Yeah. Now, did you did you like Beetlejuice growing up? Was that a th- Of course. So tell me about that call, because you were awesome in that show. Thank you like you. It was so amazing. Yeah, Beetlejuice was, as a kid, right up my alley because I loved comedy and I loved horror. And, um, yeah, when I got that call, and, I, and I've always been a theater person, first and foremost, when it comes to acting. And, yeah, I was, yeah, I've been so fortunate to do those shows at Casita del Campo with that whole crew I just named. And we do the Golden Girls and different sitcom parodies and that sort of a thing. And, uh, yeah, I was such a fan of Peaches Christ before ever meeting her. She was definitely one of a big influence on me. Then I think I met her at the first drag con. And then we kind of just kept up with each other on social media. And I think maybe she went to a casita show and knew that I was into acting and that sort of a thing. Or maybe I reached out to her. I don't remember. But then eventually uh, she asked me to, to do that. And I was just like, oh. Are you kidding me? This is crazy. And I was terrified because, you know, the past few years, I mean, I was lucky when I was a kid, the theater that I started performing in was, I think, 800 seat old community theater, which is really cool that we had such a huge, old, beautiful building. So I, I, my first time ever being on stage was in front of like 800 people. So I, I knew how to, maneuver that but it had been like 10 years or so since I had been in front of an audience really of that size doing dialogue like that so I was terrified because Casita del Campo is like I don't know 60 seats yeah, or something like that. Um, and then that theater that we did Shield Juice at was like I don't know how many it's over a thousand so I was terrified and I remember when I did the when I first came out and did that my uh, first came out on stage my hands were numb because I wasn't breathing and I was like how am I and then that, that made me a whole nother kind of freak out like I need to catch my breath or I need to like get but once I finally got into it I was just like this is magic and I hope to get to do more with Peach's Christ and then she called again for mean gays yeah yeah well she called for another one that I couldn't do which was unfortunate and then and then mean gays came up and yeah that was so fun and I got to play Janice in the parody of mean girls and we just did like I think seven cities or six or seven cities and then we're supposed to do more and that was great I loved it and I got to work with Willem who's a friend and Kim Chi and Laganja and we just had the best time ever what I think is interesting uh, especially about Sheetlejuice uh, is the Gina Davis part in some way in the movie because it's full of dynamic and weird gothy characters. Like in the film, you've got like Lydia played by Winona Ryder, who's kind of like the very like dark goth girl. And there's of course Beetlejuice. And then all these like existential, like other weird, like supernatural characters. 
And even though the Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis characters are dead, they kind of have like the unusual uh, task of being also the straight men of the story yeah. while this chaos is happening around them. Now, when you transform that into the world of drag, that's kind <laughs> of like a very like interesting task to put upon a drag queen because playing the straight character in anything is not really a drag maneuver. It's so weird because that's sort of become my thing. <laughs> well, because you and I did that live read of The House on Haunted Hill. Oh, that's yes, ba- of course. Back in uh, the beginning of October of last year, and you kind of had a similar... The, the roles are very different, but you were sort of like the girl that like, oh no, this house, you know. And But it adds an element of kitsch and camp when the straight character is a drag queen. Yeah. Well, I think if you play it straight, it's like you're still a drag queen, so there's some type of humor to it uh but yeah it's really weird that i'm kind of always in drag when i act well not always but a lot of the time i'm the straight man and even sam pancake who's kind of a comedy partner of mine and we do a lot of stuff together he's just so silly and i i'm kind of i'm the kind of person i love collaborating with people on stage but if somebody's really hamming it up I tend to sort of just kind of be like I'm not going to compete I don't want it to turn into chaos right you know I don't want it to be just too much so I th- I like the dynamic of straight man and and, and silly per- what do you call it? what's what's the word that's not straight man I guess like the the, the clown the silly the yeah the I'll- funny one the one that people like um <laughs> <laughs> I tend to be uh the straight man but I think it's an important role to balance well, it out it's a hugely important role and in the case of uh you know the Gina Davis character and Beetlejuice or uh, the woman in House on Haunted Hill, you're also the lead because everything in the movies happens to you. Yeah. And that is that is no small, you know, task to undertake. Yeah. Well, when we did Mean Gaze, it, I mean, we had so many hilarious stars of the show, like Willem and Peaches and, and Kim Chi and Lagandra. They were all so funny and silly in the show. And I was Janice who is... Um, a lot of her her lines are just like I thought we were friends, you know. <laughs> and I'm just like I can't. I just I don't know. I I feel like if I was to to play it too over the top, it's just like well we have to have some kind of balance here. Right. But I oddly enough, Janice is sort of the goth character. So Love it's it. Kind of keeping your foot in that world of spookiness. Too. Well, I think as a kid, I was not able to be to explore goth side of me. I mean, a little bit. I love the Hot Topic. And I would uh, go there at our local mall and, and buy lots of stuff that I would hide from my parents. But, th- yeah, my parents were not into that. They did not want me to do that, which is unfortunate. But uh, So I think that there is definitely a little goth kid inside of me so I love to explore that now when I was in college I actually worked at Hot Topic and it was <gasps> during that era too where it was still kind of like fresh to the like landscape of the mall so you would have especially around Christmas time like these little old ladies that would come in who were like the cool grandma that was going to get stuff for their kid 
But uh, they would still very much be like, well, I, I I know this is the devil's store, but my grandson really wants this Alkaline Trio <laughs> t-shirt or whatever it was. And uh, what was great was like how many people assumed that corporate mall America was just going to put in a satanic temple in the middle. Because right. yeah, that's how they talked about it. But then I'd be like, yes, ma'am, here we are, the store of Satan, where you can also get this branded Tinkerbell blanket. Like, you know, I, 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 it's silly to think like that it's in a mall like next to an Orange Julius, but... That store is so important to so like to oh, someone yeah. like me and so many other people. I can only assume that like there was nothing like that where I was growing up. So to get to go to that place and you kind of escape into this other world when you go in there. I just I learned so much because I would see these T-shirts that would have kind of cult characters on it. And I would say, I don't know who that is. And then I would look that person up and then I'd be like, oh, there's a whole world of John Waters out there that I didn't know about or whatever. So, yeah, I, I it was a very important thing in my life it's definitely one of those places to a sensory memory like hot topic has a smell like, oh yeah it's a specific it's like that like put that in a yankee candle and let me light it up at home and i would know exactly what it was and because i'll still be at the mall sometimes and i'll wander in i'm like there it is i don't know what it is like it's it must I, maybe it's just like the packing peanuts or i don't know but, <laughs> so, but something about hot topic like it takes me instantly back smell of rebellion yeah because i uh I was always the kid uh, when I was working there that, you know, they would always have the, the, the employees that you would assume are the Hot Topic employees, like with blue hair and piercings and things. Uh-huh. And then they would have like the one employee who kind of like was like, this is the air quotes safe employee that like if grandma comes in to buy a Tinkerbell blanket, we throw him at them. And I would always have like my, you know, Jared, straight man. Yeah. The Jared Catalano sweater that I like. I look like a character from my so-called life. And I'd be like, hi. Meanwhile, like. I, of all the people who were working at my Hot Topic, was usually the one that was into like the most like dark and weird shit. But because I was just like wearing a sweater and didn't have blue hair, everyone's like, oh, he's the normal kid. I'm like, well, Beth over there, she's got a puppy at home and stays in and watches cartoons. Yeah. I'm going to garage punk shows and watching people get like stapled in the face. So yeah. it was like, uh, that's what I, that was the, sh- the store that taught me that like uh, appearances are not everything. So. Yeah. Well, that's how I feel kind of a, as a drag queen. I mean, I don't really present like I said, like a scary person. Like I don't look scary. I like some kind of monster character and I don't really look like a punk or anything like that. I think that just being in drag is punk and, and, and out there enough for me. For sure. But there is, I, I am sort of, I'm, I mean, I'm very into dark stuff and subcultures and punk. Well, speaking of being into dark stuff and subcultures and investigating the unknown, this is a great time to talk about Ghosted. Oh, okay. Yeah. So tell, so for my listeners who maybe are not familiar, uh, you know, I mentioned this at the beginning, but Roz has a show all about her investigations into the paranormal and discussions of ghost stories that are shared with you. And uh, so just tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, it's not really so much investigation. I mean, sort of, uh, because I don't really identify as a paranormal investigator, but I am so curious about that stuff. Mainly, I love hearing about it. I don't really want to experience it a whole lot. I have been doing some ghost huntery type things well, as a result of the show. Why I brought it up, the, yeah, like the investigation portion, because I know you're out there a little bit, Scooby doing. It's what Hollywood. I'm doing for the art. It's what I'm doing for the listeners, but <laughs> it's not something I'd want to be doing. Uh, I just love hearing these stories, and of course, with anything in the paranormal world, there's not really any way to really, uh, you know, make it definitive facts that ghosts even exist, but. 
I, I really like to talk to people of all different walks of life. And I've had so many different kinds of people that I've interviewed just to sort of show that we all have these experiences. It's right. not just one kind of person. It's, you know, we all have, I mean, not all of us, but all different kinds of people have had these experiences. So it is, it is a ghost story show for sure. But you, you ask people to also kind of bring their ghost stories as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's sort of, w- there is an element of it that's sort of like my favorite TV show of all time, Celebrity Ghost Stories, but with a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And so I, I have had on celebrities, uh, I've had on drag queens, and I'm starting to get more expert type people. Um, and I'm t- tomorrow, no, Wednesday, a couple of days, this week, I'm interviewing uh, my first psychic medium. So that sort of goes into the investigation of like getting questions answered. Cause like I hear so much and I'm like, how, like, what, what is that? Like, there's so many things about ghosts where I'm like, what are they able to do? Like, how come some can walk through walls and some can't like, I don't know this stuff. I'm not an expert, right? but I, I, I'm curious just like everyone else. I mean, we call it the unknown because we don't know what the fuck it is, but I want to know. Well, and hearing so many of these stories as you do, because it's the point of your show, uh, and, and looking into this world, uh, you want to know, but does it make you more, are you afraid of, of what you don't know, or are you welcoming of it? Do you, do you mind the idea of ghosts? Well, I think that, yeah, the instinct is to be scared, because it's, it's just like in horror movies what I like. I mean, like this ghost in my room, that's not normal life. I don't see that every day, so it feels a little scary. But uh, I'm trying to shift the way that I view things because, you know, we have to remember that a lot of times ghosts, I mean, there's, you know, there's demons, sure. but then there's ghosts, which are humans. And so, you know, I, I don't know. I kind of believe that they're, their souls that are sticking around for a reason and I'm trying my best to be kind of understanding and and not like Jesus Christ like who would ever <laughs> want to see you know if you walk into a room and someone's like holy shit so well and what a great city for it because Los Angeles yeah. and Hollywood in particular uh, you know it's always it, it evokes this idea of the Hollywood ghosts like so much has happened in this city and yeah. uh, a lot of unfinished business you know, most people come out here to achieve something and then their life gets cut short and they're sticking around. Wow. So are we are we one of the more haunted cities in America, would you say? I think every city is a very haunted city for one reason or another. I mean, there's there's a lot. I mean, if you think about like the South, you know, there's so much history down there. Um, you know, New York is like such a bustling. But like there's ghosts everywhere. But we... We are a certain type of ghosts, I think. Right. We're Hollywood ghosts here. You know, we've got flashier ghosts. We have celebrity <laughs> ghosts. I love the idea of celebrity ghosts. Yeah, but my show, it's been it's been so interesting because I've heard so many different things. We've only been doing this since the beginning of the year, but I recently, well, we made headlines because we had somebody, uh, Billy Lee from Vanderpump Rules, tells the story of when she had sex with a ghost, which ended up um, in People Magazine, <laughs> which is cool. Wow. Um, and we just had Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, Cassandra Peterson, my number one idol in the whole wide world. Uh, we, we That was an incredible episode um, because her story is actually like she has exactly what you want. Like she has the perfect Hollywood ghost story. 
And um, yeah, like I'm trying to move more into getting TV paranormal investigators and and psychics and uh, and it's fun because we also have on comedians and we play different things. Like I I play a game where I find ghost voices that investigators believe they've heard them say something and I make the guests guess what the the ghost said. Um, and then people send me stories so I read them as well. And it's been a lot of fun. And as you had, uh, you were telling me before we went on the air, uh, as a result of this interest of yours in doing the show, you're starting to kind of run more into the world of the the paranormal investigators and you're, you're connecting with people and hearing from people. What's it like being uh, opened up to that subculture because here you know we've uh, this whole interview and discussion we're talking about the subcultures of drag and the subcultures of horror Mm -hmm. and finding your people and like with each new thing you find something new and now because you're looking into the world of ghosts the world of ghosts and the people who investigate them are looking back at you and that's got to be new and exciting it is and it's really cool and i and i feel very embraced by the paranormal community right now and i and i think that just you know as somebody that is a paranormal investigator or somebody that's that is interested in the paranormal they clearly have open minds right. and they're open to different possibilities so me being a drag queen like they're like we love this this is great this is really cool you know they're into it and and a lot of people that again have never heard of a drag queen or seen a drag queen are tuning in and and getting to meet people like I just had Jackie Beat on and Kim Chi and Peaches and so it's it's been cool to um to interact with this new audience and yeah there's a lot of stuff I didn't know about with paranormal investigating there's all this technology I didn't really know about and I do like watching those TV shows and I have always but um it's just it's just interesting to to interact with these people and learn about all the different horror uh, different haunted places that I didn't even know existed. Um, but I will say, as much as I love it, and it's become, I mean, I I love it, I love it nonstop. But I am so terrified because especially the demon stories. Because right. growing up Catholic, like I believe in that shit, <laughs> and these demon stories that I hear. I sleep with the lights on. I've it's been since last October I started recording. I've slept with the lights on every single night since then because I hear so many stories about things happening in the middle of the night and demon stuff and I'm terrified. But I love it. I mean, I'm like you've scared yourself, but you're like obsessed by being with Oh, I asked yeah. for it. <laughs> I literally asked, "Tell me your ghost story." And people tell them. And so, you know, my inbox is full of just very scary stories and touching stuff as well you know it's really nice to hear um you know people's stories of loved ones visiting them and letting them know they're okay and that sort of a thing as well but uh yeah it's it's been a really it's it's really cool because it's become sort of like my full-time job now is 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 ghosts and and i love that and it goes back to the child me like i loved paranormal stuff and and i grew up in kind of a haunted house and so to get to to make uh, a career out of that, it's just like I love it. That's super cool, and I I think to me as well, it comes back to the conversation we had at the beginning. We were talking about your origins and your desire to bring all of your loves together, and this mm-hmm. idea that you also wanted to bring drag to places that had never seen it, like to uh, you know a comedy club that doesn't normally have drag queens. You brought drag there. I said, and no drag queens are talking about ghosts. Well, and that's what I'm saying. And now in the world of ghost discussion and paranormal investigation and paranormal discussion 
there's a drag queen who is leading certain discussions and it's bringing in audiences who maybe did not know about that world. Mm -hmm. But then it's bringing paranormal people to look at the world of queer performance and, and, you know, that our world is a little bit smaller and more inclusive than we tend to like to think. Yeah, yeah. I know. I do talk to um, to some uh, veterans of of drag that I totally get. You know, keeping drag culture dirty and dangerous, and and I do love that. And so I hope that that doesn't change because we do have this discussion constantly about drag queens becoming mainstream or more acceptable and that sort of a thing. And I, and I, of course that all centers around RuPaul's drag race, which has been nothing but a good thing for people like me because now I don't have to have a day job because people want drag queens everywhere. Right. And I think that's such a great, cool thing. Um, but I do always want to maintain, uh, who I am as a drag performer, which again, isn't, isn't often what people expect, you know? So, um, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just talking about myself. Oh, that's why you're here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, before we move on from this topic and because you said you're just now dipping your toes into actual ghost hunting, um, Mm. what is the coolest place that you've gone ghost hunting so far? (sighs) There's this, um, there's this guy that lives in the Hollywood Hills named David Omen that lives... (sighs) I think it's like two houses or just a quite not too many yards down from a very quiet street known as Cielo Drive, or he lives on the street a couple mm-hmm. of yards down from where the Sharon Tate murders happened. And he's been on all the ghost hunter shows and he lives in this house that is haunted and not just by uh, what we would think of, you know, from the Sharon Tate murders and all those victims, but also it's sort of like a revolving door to different spirits. It's just geographically, it's in a, I don't know the science terms. You'd have to listen to when I interviewed him because uh, he goes into it. But where it stands geographically is like a, uh, it's like an anomaly. Like it's so it, which tends to, I guess, open um, lots of doors to different paranormal uh, experiences and activity. And so the place is haunted. And so many different ghosts there. And yeah, I've been there twice now. And the first time we went, there was definitely more activity. Um, but he, you should check out, if anybody's listening wants to check that out, he does do, he opens it up to people to give them the experience of what it's like to experience ghosts. And they bring in psychics and they barbecue and they make a whole night out of it. His name's David Omen. I like that I was like, they barbecue? I'm kind of in. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's definitely like a social event. And uh, yeah, gosh, I just had some feelings there that I didn't like. (laughs) Well, from things you didn't like to things you do, before we wrap up. uh, I want to talk about horror movies. Well, that's what we're here to I'm about to ask you about. Um, You, you know, you talked about Carrie and we talked about this, uh, you know, your path in the world of of paranormal. But talk to me a little bit about uh, because I know you're a horror movie fan. Are there any standouts that like really just are key to your heart? And what have you been seeing recently that you really like? Oh, my gosh. Um, Well, there's a lot of the the standards that I love. I love Rosemary's Baby. 
I love um, The Exorcist is like, I think, just the best, a masterpiece. Um, you know, I've always liked slasher films, but there's something about them that aren't as scary to me because they feel too real. You know, like, again, like I like a little bit of fantasy, um, but I do. I, I that's why I love Freddy. Right. Um, I always love those movies uh, and I love Chucky. I love Child's Play. Um, I love The Bride of Chucky. I love that camp. Well, it's interesting, too, because Freddy and Chucky both, to me, um, exist sort of, have a drag sensibility. Oh, I right? think they're comics. Yeah. There's something so heightened. Like, Freddy, to me, I once said that uh, Freddy Krueger was the Ethel Merman of horror, and I stand by that, mm-hmm. because he's so theatrical. And when Robert England takes on that role... It's like a complete transformation. He does like this whole like walk and like the hands up and it's just. Oh, yeah. What is it? Welcome to prime time, bitch. Yeah. I mean, he's quippy. He's funny. I think he's hilarious. Um, But nowadays, I kind of suck when it comes to horror because there's there's a couple of things. Horror, pizza and coffee are things where I'm like. I, I, I like I'll, I have low standards. I'm just like you just I, want mean, it all. I love it no matter what. Like I just I I I can find something I love about it. Right. I'm not somebody that goes on rants about that was the worst piece of shit I ever saw. I'm not really like that. But there I have really enjoyed a lot of recent horror movies, which it felt for a while like there was just garbage out. But um, there's I shouldn't say that sounded really rude. Um, not garbage, but just uh, I mean, you know, I, I did see a lot of movies that just weren't very I didn't enjoy. But the past couple of years, like it follows, I thought was brilliant. I was I really enjoyed Hereditary. I loved it. Um, Have you seen the trailer for the new it? I cried (laughs) (laughs) because the first one meant so much to me, which also coming from a clown family, uh, yeah, kind of of controversial. That's kind of rebellious in my family to like that. I was going to ask, how does the clown community feel about Pennywise? Is he doing damage in the world? Poor father. Yes. I mean, it sucks because like, you know, when my dad started being a clown, there wasn't a lot of images of, of Evil terror. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like the '80s and '90s, it really became, you know, John Wayne Gacy and, and Pennywise and all of that. So, yeah, it's it's unfortunate what it's done to the clowning community. But um, yeah, I I can't wait for that one. And um, any horror movie, I go out and I see it. I liked Pet Cemetery. I mean, there was lots of things I liked about it. Um, I think that cat. Deserves an Oscar. Yeah, yeah. I, though I guess I, um, it was actually like six cats or something. They had oh, like I'm sure. a whole like grouping of cats playing the one. But um, what's something good that you've seen recently? Something good that I've seen recently. Uh, Any deep cuts that I wouldn't know about? Because I'm always looking to check out. Oh well, so Blumhouse has this series on Hulu. Hulu. The Watch in- them all. The Into the Dark series. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the most recent one, All That We Destroy, uh, was directed by a previous guest of the show, Chelsea Stardust. But I really, really liked it. I don't think I've saw- seen that one it, yet. It just dropped on May third, so oh, it's fairly okay. recent. Uh, and it's it's uh, all about 
Uh, and this is all in the setup, so it's giving nothing away. Uh, this mother whose son has like murder tendencies, he's a killer, but she has like genet- she's a genetic scientist, so she kind of keeps making him people to kill to hope that it like will curb his. Oh. Uh, and then, like, oh. of course, it's a horror movie, so it like veers into some territory and like, will that be enough, et cetera. And I love horror movies that have that sort of uh, social commentary and philosophical quandary because totally. uh, I think that there's just something about that. Uh, I'm trying to think. I don't know. You know what I saw? Terrifier. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen it yet. But again, a killer clown movie, right? No. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. You're rebelling with these clown I films. Uh, I am trying to think what other recent horror movies I saw. Uh, I, I'm a Shudder person, too. I like, lo- I'm all up in it. Well, I just watched uh, The Ranger on Shudder. It just dropped. It was, it's a movie that uh, played at South by Southwest. Uh, and it's about a group of punk kids who go out into the woods and this park ranger starts killing them. It's like kind of a standard like uh, slasher setup, but it uses like punk uh, iconography and there's like a gay couple in it. And it's sort of like, it's real, it's real like hardcore kind of movie. Uh, it was, it was fast and furious for sure. Like it was one of those where by the time it uh, started, I felt like it was just like shotgun to the end, which is fun for that kind of horror movie. It nice. didn't it didn't wear out its welcome. Okay, I'll check uh, that out. Uh, that was cool. Kind of horror adjacent, but not really. I did just go to the movies to see Hail Satan, the documentary about the satanic symbol. Oh, I symbol. loved it. Did you see it? Yeah, I guess I, I felt... Um, I felt bad that I didn't know more about that whole organization because, of course, you think like Satan, like it's a completely different thing. Very punk. Yeah, very punk. I really enjoyed the documentary a lot. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those um, I had... heard about it and actually Peaches Christ had told me she was like if you haven't seen this movie you need to go check it out right now yeah, yeah, yeah. and I was like well that's an endorsement right there uh, and so I took a group of people uh, we, a, a group of us met up and went and saw it and at the end I was like wow I was like they're kind of doing like solid politics oh yeah for, uh, for everybody totally it's a great thing yeah uh, definitely into it but um, you know what I love that came out a couple years ago I it's kind of, I think it's a horror film, but The Invitation. Did oh, I loved see? The Invitation. I love that movie. I thought it felt so real. And uh the woman who directed that, Karin Kusama, also did Jennifer's Body. Oh. Yeah, she's she is a uh, modern master of horror as far as I'm concerned. Wow. Uh but I really like The Invitation. Um I remember seeing it at uh the Arclight and when the lights came on and this is my spoiler-free review but also humorous to people who live in LA. I tapped my friend and I said, "That's why we don't go to parties in the hills." Yep. <laughs> yep. I just felt like I know those people when yeah. I watched it. Like it felt like a very real scenario. Oh, we have both been to those kind of places. Oh, like, yeah, I think like, I met you at one of those places. <laughs> like, like very like sort of hip, like we're in the hills, we're ha- just having ourselves a dinner party. And you're like, mm-hmm, something's up. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah, there's plenty. Like you're right. We're going through a horror renaissance right now. And it's really cool to see. Uh, this this sort of advent and what I'm really liking is we're seeing more diverse voices in horror as well. Well, and I like that. I think we're I think with technology we're starting to figure out like even with like phones we're trying to figure out how to take a break from them or you know I think we're starting to get that way a little bit with CGI. I think there's a little yeah. bit more practical effects that are coming back into movies and I love practical effects. I love practical effects too. Honestly, I think one of the best practical effects scenes even though this movie I'm about to reference did use CGI blood. I'm not casting any aspersions because they also had one of the best practical effect moments of the last 
last uh, you know year was the Suspiria remake. Oh, how could I forget that? That whole climax. sequence where she's dancing, though, like, the, yeah, like yeah. and she's possessed, and the body's, like, breaking into different pieces. I was just like, that's horrifying. That the, wasn't CGI? I, there was definitely practical makeup effects involved. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there was a CGI touch-up because yeah. it's just the, the environment we live in. Uh, but how haunting and grotesque. I know. I love God, that. God, that scene. That scene and then the climax of that movie was just like my heart was pounding. I loved it. That's a queer horror film. Whether people oh, yeah. want to say it's queer or not, I mean, it's 90% populated uh, by women. And there's just this like whole psychosexual energy. Uh, I, I loved it. I loved it. And, and Tilda Swinton, I mean, she's in drag in the movie. Yes. Multiple times. Yes. She, Eddie Murphy does. She played like four different characters. <laughs> like, because it's an art house movie, no one wants to say it, but that's exactly what she did. I know. I didn't realize it till the end. I was like, wow, she's amazing. She's going to be in a new movie coming out that Jim Jarmusch directed that's a zombie apocalypse movie. Uh, Fun. Yeah. I, I, of course, uh, cannot remember the name of it right now. So someone on Twitter, when you listen to this, please tweet at us and let us know. But it's uh, Jim Jarmusch directed it. Tilda's in, t- in it. Uh, you know, uh, Adam Driver, what's his face from Star Wars. Um, Is there a genre of horror that you don't like? Um, I'm open to everything, yeah. but I will say that I am less likely to dig into animal attack movies. For some reason. Like Cujo type? Is I that think, what you mean? I, what's weird though, I actually like or Cujo. Jaws. Yeah, I'm just like, I'm not like a big uh, animal chomping on people thing, and, but there's always exceptions to the rule. But those are not movies I'm particularly drawn to. I kind of like uh, a human threat usually because or because for me, monsters are people. And by that, by human threat, I mean something that has, you know, the ability to intellectualize and be a danger. It doesn't actually have to be a human. It can be a supernatural entity because, of course, in horror, horror is all about symbolism. So when something exists, like Pennywise is not a human, but Pennywise kind of represents the loss of innocence. And you know, mm-hmm. so and that's a very human fear. Yeah. Whereas to me, if I'm like trapped in a cabin and there's like a wild boar outside just like slamming into the door, <laughs> I'm just like, well, this is a primal fear uh-huh. because like that goes back to our cave days where we don't want to be eaten by something. But I'm just kind of like... I don't I don't always want 90 minutes of that. But there are exceptions to the rule. There are some really great animal attack movies as well. I love The Birds, Jaws is great. I love Cujo. Um And I feel feel like they often are trying to attach that human side like the same shark keeps coming back cuz it's mad at us. Yeah, Jaws the Revenge. It's upset. This <laughs> time it's revenge. personal. Yeah. Yeah. Um um how yeah. about you? Are you I, Well, you said you're not a big slasher person. No, no, I am a big slasher person, but um they're not usually the ones that I'm like super drawn to. Um, But for me, the demons are the ones that I'm very like, those are the ones that keep me up at night. Right. Right. But do you have a favorite demon movie? I mean, the exorcist, but um, you know, what I just recently was watching is the third exorcist, which is actually has one of the best jump scares in horror history. Yeah. I'm not going to say what it is because that's the point of a jump scare is to be surprised. But if you've seen it, you know, yes. Um, but the the kind that I usually am not attracted attracted to are um, vampire movies for some reason. Oh, I love a vampire movie. I can get down with a vampire movie. I'm like such a vampire fan. I don't know what it is. I, don't know what I it think is they're for sexy, me. even when know, they're not guess, sexy. Like, yeah, maybe I need to watch them more. Um, but yeah, I love zombies, and I recently, for some reason, 
was like, remember how great I felt when I watched the first three seasons of The Walking Dead? <laughs> and so I I started watching them on Netflix. Cut to six days later, and I've got a full beard leaving my apartment, and I watched the entire series. <laughs> uh, well, and it's almost done now, right? That's, I think so. Yeah. Well, I mean, what a way to emerge back into the light. You could have done Bearded Drag that week. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> uh, so before we head out, what's next with you uh, beyond Ghosted? Do you have any stuff coming up that uh, people should check out? Um, I definitely want to be able to check out Ghosted because I'm very proud of it. And it's um, even if you don't believe in ghosts, I think it's, it's same the same thing that you get from horror where you're just really en- you're enjoying somebody else's experience and you're sort of living vicariously and you're hearing people that truly believe what they're saying and they're telling these stories. And and uh, and I like to keep it fun. And it's and it's it's definitely funny at times as well. So uh, there's that. Um, I've got some really cool interviews coming up with that that are scheduled right now. Mm. And, um, yeah, I have my monthly show at the Hollywood Improv, which is now a game show called The Once Over. And a couple of acting things. I don't know if I should talk about those. Just, you know, check out the Instagram. Which leads to the final question. Mm-hmm. Where can people find you? Well, my dream since childhood, um, going back to that, you know, always wanting to fulfill this child's dream. Uh, I remember a young boy Dreaming of being an Instagram celebrity. <laughs> I just wanted viral fame. Um, so you can follow me and make that dream come true at Roz Dresfalaz. The name's probably in the description. Yes. And um, I also have a Facebook page and uh, I guess I do Twitter and all that stuff. I have a, Did you see I interviewed um, Valak the Nun? Oh, Bonnie Abrams? No, no, no. The real The actual nun. nun. No. I interviewed the nun. Wow. Yeah, you should. If you go to my Facebook page, um, Roz Dressfellas, I have my, that interview on there. Oh, I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. Uh, and you should too, listener. Please tune in to Ghosted. Keep up with Roz if you are in the LA area or wherever Roz is traveling in the world. Please go see her. She's amazing. A dear friend of the show. Someone that I enjoy a great deal. And I'm so happy that she could celebrate our 75th episode with us. I'm honored. And I love that you do this show. It's so great. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for being you and doing what you do. This has been Dead for Filth. I'm Michael Brady. Yours always in glam and gore. Good night and good luck. Dead for Filth is a Reverie original podcast, executive produced by Aaliyah J. Daniels, LaShawn McGee, Chris Rodriguez, and Damian Pelliccione. The show is produced by Drew Phillips and sound engineered and edited by Josh Perkins. Download the Reverie app and use the code FILTH for 25% off your first three months.